When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. We are coming to you on Friday, October 6th. And Brendan, we have switched days. It is the off-season. The Cubs don't play on Sundays anymore. They don't finish series on Sundays anymore. So we have moved to Fridays. Have you mentally moved on from the season? Are you mentally in off-season mode? Are Not you still really, in the, you know? And there I I'm am. There, I got right? the, you know, the wild card fired up. I'm hate watching <laughs> and suffering through it all, wishing the Cubs were a part of it, being glad the Brewers are no longer a part of it. Um, a good reminder to everybody that the Brewers have never won a right. World Series championship. I believe 55 years strong. That's, now. A, that's, so many, that's many years. Congratulations to them. Uh, if you are joining us on YouTube, a note, uh, at least for this week, well, you know, and probably future weeks, but uh, we are not live. We uh, recorded this and do it on demand. It just work, works best with our work schedules and trying to get an episode out on Fridays. So if you are watching us on YouTube uh, and commenting in the chat, we will read it. Uh, we will go back and read it. Or if you leave us feedback on Twitter, etc., we will read it. We will consider it, etc., um, but we are not ignoring you in the live chat. We cannot see the future. So, uh, for now, I, I believe Barb has probably already asked if we are live. No, we are not. <laughs> we are on the air, but we are not live. So first episode of the off season, Brendan. Um, I know that our guys, Cody, Luke and Ryan have been in the studio all week, kind of kicking the off season into gear. You and I kind of did a post-mortem last Sunday in our live episode, uh, and we will talk about everything going on in the offseason. Obviously, Jed spoke to the media. Uh, Cody, Luke, and Ryan did a, a really good job of kind of breaking that down. I think they did that over two episodes. Uh, Ryan Herrera was there, got a lot of video footage, wrote an article about everything Jed said over at allchgo.com. So we will talk about that. We'll talk about seemingly the the decision that David Ross will be back. I can already in the maybe I can read the future because I know the chat is just a bunch of people saying fire Ross fire Ross uh but unless something changes he's under contract they don't really need to do anything else they've they've Jed said they they were pleased with the job he did Tom said he's going to be the manager next year so unless something comes out of nowhere and they make another decision we want to talk about if he's going to be back like, what does he need to improve on? What did he do well? And what do we need to see in 2024, which based on his contract could be his last year regardless for David Ross. So kind of a prove it year for the manager as well. We also have rumor season started up in earnest. Brendan, Pete Alonzo is a name that is coming up a lot connected to the Chicago Cubs. Juan Soto, possibly another guy that might be traded, uh, both of whom would fill the you know, star hitter void that we need the Cubs to fill. Yes, they will. Obviously, we'll talk about Cody Bellinger, some of Jed Jed's comments there. 
um, and just kind of set the table uh, for the offseason, kind of look at what's going on here. Uh, but Brendan, first, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, right? I, we're all very pleased that the Brewers were unceremoniously swept out of these playoffs. Yes, something I, I talked about on Thursday in the studio with Cody, Luke, and Ryan was kind of that balance between enjoying it, laughing about it, being happy about it, but that feeling inside where you're like, man, we should have beaten that damn team. Yeah, I've already moved on, though. I I enjoy, first off, I enjoy hate watching so much. Sure. Well, we've gotten and a lot of it the last few years. Unfortunately, we have, but I love watching Craig Council's post, <laughs> post-loss interviews. I love watching any team, I'm not going to mention any other teams, but any team whom I just really dislike. And sure. there's a few more in, in the playoffs right now that I hope end up losing, but it's it's a nice breather for me after coming off, I don't know how it is for you, but for me coming off September and the stress that goes into watching these Cubs games, and truthfully, maybe we don't want to admit it, but despite our liking of this team and our desire for a playoff spot we knew deep down i knew deep down this team was not going to go far like we we all kind of knew that we wanted to be part of the discussion but i think one of the reasons why the playoffs ended up being so rather missing the playoffs ended up being so disappointing because it was our world series more or less it was the way we would remember this particular season but we all knew 2024 and beyond were the more juggernaut-esque potential years. We're talking about wanting to take that huge leap forward to be part of the discussion with the Braves and the Dodgers in the National League. We all knew that. And so to some degree, I'm happy we're there. I'm happy we're beyond this fringe-esque season, these fringe-esque discussions. And I'm ready to talk about being a juggernaut. I'm ready to talk about what needs to be done to get back to the uh, era where you and I, twice a week, we're talking about 2016, 2017, 100 plus win seasons. We're almost on the cusp of doing that again. I hope. Well, we better be, right? Well, in my mind, we're 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 on that trajectory of it should happen. Yeah, and I I think that was one of the things that I talked about with Luke and, and Cody and Ryan on Thursday was... You know, you raise the expectations. The, there was a lot of positives in 2023, but ultimately, you don't want to be in that mix. You don't want to be in that wild card mix. You don't want to be in that 83 to 86 win territory and dealing with so many, you know, each little margin thing is going to make or break your season ultimately. You need to be, this. Is, I said this today, like outside of 2020, which isn't a real season. Uh, there was a season that year? No, and nothing oh. about it should count, right? Yeah. Except that the Cubs won yeah. the division. That counts. Everything the only, else The only fraudulent. thing that counts, yeah. Um, the Brewers have been getting over on you for five years now. That has got to stop, right? And you, there, there's obviously some talent in the division. You expect the Cardinals not to be cellar dwellers for long, right? They, they have a higher standard than that, that their their ownership and everything won't allow for it for too long, right? But getting to that level of the Braves or or being that juggernaut team takes time. And I think the Cubs are taking those steps to at least try to 
get back to where you want to be in that regard. But at a minimum, you have got to get back on top of this division. This offseason has to feel, however they go about it, it has to feel like they come out of it as a clear favorite in this division and a, a no questions asked playoff beyond or bust type expectation for this team. And I think anything less is just unacceptable, right? You, you just did the whole, like, we're trying to be competitive and compete. And maybe we can go for the division or go for a wild card spot. Like, not anymore. Like, no. 2024 has got to be a higher standard than that. And they they have some work to get there. But I did appreciate, I want to relitigate the entirety of Jed's uh, end of season press conference. But I did like generally the way he talked about things, Brendan. I, I know you're always one to parse the words of the foreign office members, but I've I thought, first of that. all... I've learned I, my lesson. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned it on, on Sunday show when you and I talked last. Like, Tom said, I don't want to get in the habit of calling seasons where we don't make the playoffs successful. And then he, you know, kind of did a butt, right? But Jed Hoyer, you know, flatly said, like, we didn't make the playoffs, so I'm not calling it a success right? We bought at the deadline and we didn't make the playoffs. So I'm not going to sit here and call it successful because that's not our goal. So I did appreciate that. And I thought he was pretty candid about some other things. And I I always do find it interesting. And and maybe this plays into the like Pete Alonzo, Juan Soto stuff. Um, You know, but he did, there was a bit, I think he was talking about Christopher Morrell and he was talking about how Morrell was one of those players who could change the game with one swing. And the Cubs didn't have enough of that, right? You had six guys hit 20 home runs, but I don't none of them hit 30, right? Certainly none of them hit 40. You had a bunch of like 25-ish homer guys, right? Which is fine, but Jed was kind of getting at like you need guys who can transform the game with their bat in one swing or, you know, each time they come up. I always continue to rail that example of like the way Mookie and Freddie lead off in LA and kind of set the table for them. Like whatever else they platoon or piece it together, however, but they have those stars that can transform a game for them, getting the most played appearances on their team. And I always think it's interesting, I bring that up because it's always interesting when they say stuff like that, because it's like, well, I mean, you're going to have to go and find those bats, man. So it kind of reminds me, you know, Theo said the offense broke, or Jed last year saying that you need to blow teams out. I always just find it interesting because those are a couple examples of they pointed out flaws with the team that they didn't really go and fix that well, right? So this is another one where coming into this offseason, Jed is kind of laying the gauntlet of we need more pop, we need more power, we need more of that elite presence on offense. It may not be the easiest task in the world for him to go get it, even though there are some names floating around. He'll have to do it. Right. He has to do it. I mean, this is year three now in this retool However you want to call this, it is year three. You're 0 for 3 in making the playoffs. You can't right. go through year four and miss the playoffs. You can't go through year four. Year f- this would be year four? Yeah, 21, 22, 23. 21 sort of. Kind. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah 21's a half, but okay. Yeah. But, I mean, you took over and it's part of the development, right? So to sure. take okay. you know, four full years where you're not looking into juggernaut territory. Right. Is- Jed has never made the playoffs. Theo Correct. was still the president in 2020, if you count that. If you want to count that. Which I just is, told you not to count, but... Which, yeah, you know, you can count some of it. How, how, how about that? Yeah. But this, this is it. And there's a lot of good in this organization. And I think it reflects even a lot of the things being said during 
the postseason autopsies, even from the players themselves, there's general momentum. That's what you heard, general momentum. But across the league, you're seeing it even currently in the playoffs. You're seeing the Twins have success. The Orioles have bolstered through the AL East. Now they look like, I guess, a surprise team. In hindsight, how good they actually are. There's talented front office executives, talented front office R&D guys, a lot of new age thinking in this sport. If Jed in the front office, despite some of the generally good momentum, if they don't have success next year, that will be reevaluated. And there might be turnover if they don't go out and put this team in that surefire, high probable territory. So you and I can talk about a lot of the good things, and there are good things. But when I think about balancing the good with the bad, some of the bad I think has potential, not saying it's going to happen, but some of the bad has potential to ultimately define Jets front office and put this team on a different trajectory that you and I are not seeing in the form of a different front office. I don't I don't think we're even close to discussing that. But this is all to set the in my mind set the stage of reevaluating what went well in 23, evaluating what needs to happen for 24 and then talking about all the domino type moves in the context of this season and then yeah. in the next few seasons as well. It's a very I, nuanced discussion. Yeah, I, and look, we do, we don't control any of those higher up decisions, but I do think it is fair to say this feels like a a massive off season for anybody involved in the Chicago yeah. Cubs. As the Hall of Famer Pat Hughes would say, this feels <laughs> like a turning point, Brendan, in in the Chicago Cubs organization because Again, an, another season like last year, another off season where the expectations aren't raised, like that's just not going to be good enough. And again, we don't control that. So if it's good enough for Tom, then technically it is good enough. But I don't think it's going to be, right? He wants that playoff revenue. He wants to sell some World Series merch, right? Like he wants to fill up the the new sports book during the playoffs and all that other stuff. Like they want to win and Again, you've committed some time to building this all up, but it, it's got to pay off and it has to keep going in this direction, right? So I, I thought there was a good quote from Jed's presser that I think sort of clears it, you know, clears it all, talking about what could have been towards the end of the year. And Jed said, ultimately, we have to live with that. I know it'll motivate me all winter. And I know talking to our players and coaches in front office, I know it's going to motivate them. But you can't define something as a success when you fall short. I think as Tom said, those things are consolation prizes. And that's not why we're here. So there you go, right? And I think a lot of the shortcomings of the 2023 Chicago Cubs are the things that we know they have to address, right? And you've built a lot of of prospect capital. And I think, again, that plays into the Pete Alonzo rumors and the Juan Soto rumors. And to be clear, it doesn't have to be those two guys, right? You could bring in Shohei Otani. You could swing a trade for somebody that's not currently being talked about, right? As some of these teams get knocked out of the playoffs, do they shake things up, Right. Are the Rays not satisfied because now the Orioles have jumped past them and they're not winning in the playoffs? Do they move some guys? Do the Toronto Blue Jays, who have not seen any postseason success, 
with that kind of young core of players decide to shake things up. Not tear things down, but sometimes teams shake things up because they're not getting the results. So there may be names that we haven't heard yet, but I think that there, there, there's obvious holes this team needs, and it it leads us into those discussions. So I, I do want to talk a little bit about David Ross, uh, maybe when we come back from our first ad break, but just continuing along these lines, I think it's just fair to jump into these rumors a little bit, Brendan. Um, and we don't have to dissect each player, but just one of the things that happened on Thursday was that Pete Alonso switched to Scott Boris. And as we always say, the agent works for the player, but Scott Boris has a reputation, right, of getting guys to free agency. We are currently watching it with Cody Bellinger, right? So it's not a guarantee that if you traded for Pete Alonso, he is only under contract for one year, next year. It's not a guarantee that he hits free agency after the season, but I think for all intents and purposes, you are operating as though you're trading for one year. If you're able to work on an extension, great. If that's in your plans, great. But that is kind of the the nature of that situation. Juan Soto also would be just for one year. I believe he still are eligible, so you're going to have to come to an agreement on the contract, probably something around one year for 30-ish million dollars. I think it was 24 last year, but he just put up a 154 WRC plus, so that number is going to go up. He's turned down extensions, I think, as we saw with Washington. Um, you know, so this is something that perhaps he's not interested in, in as well. Uh, but obviously, you'd have the inside track. But people said that about Cody Bellinger, and he's going to test free agency. Cody Bellinger, Pete Alonso, same agent. Could you try to work that into something? I don't know. But you're hearing these rumors for a reason, right? These guys may be available. San Diego is one of those teams that obviously did not make the playoffs. Kind of doesn't seem like that clubhouse has meshed together like they wanted, right? It's just not a good situation there. Kind of need to make some changes. The Mets, going to make some changes. David Stearns is taking over, going to maybe move things around because they need to get back to where they want to be. And they fit the profile of what the Cubs are looking for as guys you could slot in and be just really impactful hitters for this lineup. Um, do, do you have any thoughts on those two guys in particular? Um, maybe tied to Cody Bellinger? Um, these are just the early rumors. So of course, nothing's going to happen at least until these playoffs are over. But in, interesting to hear some smoke at least this early in the offseason. The potential acquisition of both Alonzo and Orr, or just Orr, Soto, I mean, obviously, it's one of those tipping point moves. When you get someone like Alonzo or Soto, they're both similar to some degree, uh, similar in the fact that they have good plate approaches. Soto's on a completely different level when it comes to that. Right. But if you dial in on Pete Alonzo, he encompasses traits you've heard the front office talk about for years. Now, you go back to Jed and Theo in those days, they did discuss wanting to add more contact to that lineup. And they ultimately ended up doing that. Now, Pete Alonso has that rare, unique skill set where he can hit 50-plus home runs, but he's going to do it by making borderline to above league average contact. If you look at contact rate percentile and 
just power or isolated power percentile. He ranks for contact in a 64th, for ISO, 98th. Those are those types of very rare hitters that you typically don't see much. If they're available, you have to go out and get them. Those types of players tend to age the best. They have the the best reserve, if you will. Look at someone like a Joey Votto. Joey Votto's always had in his history a capacity to make contact with power, and he's lasted to age 40. Those are guys who age very well. Now, you pair Alonzo with Seiya Suzuki. He's also one of those guys, especially in his second half of last year when he was one of the best hitters in the National League, makes contact, 73rd percentile in contact, power, isolated power, 75th percentile. Then you start thinking, okay, if you pair that then with Cody Bellinger, you have presumably three, four, five hitter in your lineup, all who make above average contact with substantially above average power. That's a unique lineup. And yeah, I did dream about that. I think comparing Soto and and Alonzo, intuitively it would make more sense the Cubs would have a better chance at landing Alonzo given just the asking price of a Juan Soto. Then again, when you also compare the owner situations, you have, you know, Cohen's a wild card. You never know what he's going to do. Uh, on the other hand, in San Diego, they've already expressed a desire to cut money. They want to cut money. They have mammoth contracts. I imagine it would be difficult to move, you know, Tatis, move recently signed Bogarts, who has 10 more years left. Soto seems like the logical guy to move, given right. the short-term nature of it, where they don't know they can extend him. Very much into it. They need to at least get one of these big guys. I'm not even asking for Alonzo or I'm asking for Soto. I'm asking for someone in that tier. Has to happen. This is also, you know, and and again, just for anyone that isn't super familiar, the the, the key difference is uh, Pete Alonzo is going to be 29 next year. Juan Soto is going to be 25. So that is obviously a I mean, Juan Soto is a generational Juan Soto is also player. just a, a much better hitter. Pete Alonso is a great hitter. He's had some great seasons. Uh, not coming off his best season, uh, 121 WRC plus. He was 141 in 2022, 131 in 2021. Uh, Juan Soto, as an example, was a 155 this season. 145 I mean, he has a career in 2022. weighted on base average of 400. Yeah, He's 164 WRC plus in 2020. Juan Soto is just a, home runs. a massive massive hitter. He's young. If you could trade for him and extend him, it would be a huge extension, but you know, he's the type of player you build around. He, he's, he's the he, type of player you spend 400 million plus yeah, he, and you don't even blink about you, it. You you may have to consider that he may be DHing at some point um, unless he figures out how to play first base or something like that because he's not not good in right field and as he gets older that's only going to get worse uh, but he is an unreal hitter just you know in that absolute elite tier of hitters in this league um, it all pairs though it, it it does sort of start with Bellinger and it, it doesn't Jed what do you mean the, by that you mean like as a necessity it, Jed pointed this out in, in the presser, and we all knew this. You don't have to keep Cody Bellinger, right? But if you lose him, you have to replace his production. 
And so losing him and, say, trading for Pete Alonso, that's not good enough, right? You're just no. swapping one for the other. You need to leap over that, right? That That is is sort of the key and why I think so many people look at Cody Bellinger as somewhat of a linchpin for this offseason because, well, then you just look at this offense as it was and then build on it. If you lose Cody Bellinger, you, you have your, you know, best hitter to replace that production. So it doesn't have to be Cody Bellinger plus someone like these two, but if it's not Cody Bellinger, it's got to be somebody else. You you cannot go back into this season just swapping one for the other. It, it, it's not going to put you in that place. And thinking about where you were kind of dreaming on that lineup, right? The, the key with getting a guy like this is it, it obviously you're adding a great hitter to the lineup. With both, you'd be adding more slug and power, exactly the type of hitter that Jed is is looking for. Again, to different degrees. Pete, Juan Soto is is the much better hitter here, right? Like let's let's have that be clear. But what it does is it it puts other guys in better spots, right? We just talked about this. Everyone was freaking out about this, right? Dansby Swanson as a complementary hitter to more of those guys, say hitting sixth or seventh, something like that, right? That's a much better position for him. Ian Happ not having everybody freaking out at him because he needs to be the three hitter and be one of the leading run producers on the team, right? Makes him a better player for this team. If we are able to let other guys do that and put these other players in more complementary roles in terms of this lineup, right? It makes the whole lineup deeper and it 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 puts the pressure where it should be, right? On the sluggers and the and the elite run producers. And in let's say in this scenario, it's Cody Bellinger and Pete Alonso, right? Those are the guys you would be looking at and freaking out if they're hitting in the middle of the order and not driving in runs. Yeah. Dansby hitting seventh is a is such a good complementary piece to players like that. Dansby hitting fifth, right? Not you're you're asking him to be someone he's not, right? So that's why it's so important that not only do they retain Bellinger or someone of similar production, but also they have to add that top tier bat that allows David Ross to balance out this full lineup. Okay, we have a lot to talk about today. We're already 25 yeah. minutes in, and we not we have not gone to David Ross yet. Um, let me do these ad breaks here. Come back out, and then I'll throw it back to you, and we'll keep this going. So first ad break here is from our new sponsor, Circa Sportsbook. I was in Vegas last year. I stayed at Circa. You know, all the hype is for real. They got those massive screens. You can spend all day there just gambling, watching those games. It is fun. I definitely recommend anyone to go out and, and spend some time there. Uh, Circus Sports does not limit players based on their winnings. Every player has the same limits, unlike other books who do limit winning players. We encourage betters to download and explore all sports betting apps available and compare the lines from each sports book. There are real people behind the Circus Sports brand who resolve issues in a timely fashion, unlike other books who use chat, uh, chatbots. I was about to say ChatGPT, which may be the case as well. All aspects of the app are being run by the same team that runs the main Circa Sportsbook at Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Download the Circa Sports Illinois at circasports.com slash Illinois app to sign up today. Also be on the lookout for Circa events, including watch parties and tailgates. 
If you or someone you know may have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, text G-A-M-B to 833-234 or visit areyoureallywinning.com. Second break here from our sponsor, Splash. CHGO has a weekly pick X and NFL Survivor contest for everyone to participate for real money. How do you enter? Head to splashboards.com slash CHGO. The link is in the description of this episode below to sign up. You can deposit cash to get started, and it's just $10 to enter. CHGO Weekly NFL Pick X Contest and CHGO Survivor Contest are available. The more who enter, the larger the prizes, and we'll be running weekly contests all year, so be sure to keep that link Handy and if you want to run your own contest, if you're tired of being the commissioner on leagues, chasing people around with none of the re- none of the reward, you can sign up to be a commissioner right through our link and earn money for the contest. You're already running with your friends and family. Head to splashsports.com slash CHGO to join in. We'll have different contests coming out. So we are stoked to compete with and against you all. And be sure to click that link in this description. All right, Brendan. Uh, so just finishing up on that discussion, again, those are the early rumors. The Cubs are connected to both. They're going to continue to be connected to both. How about you just get both. both? How about that? Just I, call it an offseason. I think the the one thing, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. I would. I think there's there's two things that I really look at, right? You and I and, and basically everybody that covers and talks about the Cubs, we've been waiting for the Cubs to swing one of these trades, right? It is our time to get somebody for free. Right, I am. I am tired of watching the Cardinals trade nothing to the Colorado Rockies for Nolan Arenado or yeah. the or Paul Goldschmidt. Right, yeah. we've seen these trades over and over and over again. They they happen. Atlanta getting Matt Olson, getting Sean Murphy. Right, like all these guys, and the the Cubs just not participating in that market. And I would like to see them do that now. The thing with the, the I, I think people overestimate what some of these guys are going to cost. I think in particular Pete Alonzo, right? One year for Pete Alonzo, like I, I see this too much. Like the, the Cubs are not going to trade like Kate, Kate Horton for one year of Pete Alonzo. Stop. Don't worry about that. They're not going to do that. It's not going to happen. That isn't anywhere near what the asking price Watch is going to be. Huh? Watch it happen. <laughs> well, that, I mean, no then we should start get the get rid off. of Jed conversation right now. I mean, that's crazy, right? Maybe. Like, no, I don't know. But I think Soto's a, a a different thing. I, I don't think I don't think your top guys, right? Like, I don't think Kate Horton or PCA. I don't think they're in this conversation for one year of anybody, right? I, I and if they are, I don't think Jed is doing it. But well, when know, you look man. at at past deals, that's just not really what's what's been asked, right? Like I think with Betts and the Dodgers, it was what one, like one top one hundred guy, but not necessarily a well, top thirty guy. That was a guy. little that was tricky given the money moving around. David Price has been the deal. You're moving around, sure. you know, all these millions of dollars. But Alex Verdugo was a guy who had a high probability of contributing major league value given his underlying profile major league ready there is value to that and then they went out and gave up a borderline top 50 prospects as as well so it's yeah. there there I are 
that, and, and perhaps it factors in, but that also seemed like a, a situation where the Dodgers knew they would be extending Mookie Betts, right? You would think so. Because they did the it time, immediately. I'm like, what are they and it, doing? It, it, seemed, it seemed part of the calculus where it was like, we're willing to give up maybe more because we know we're going to keep it. Well, that's part of my calculus too. Yeah. So, so if you did see the price get that high, it would likely be because Jed is under the impression that this is not a one-year situation. Look, I don't want to guarantee anything. I'm just saying one year of Pete Alonzo's services, that's just not what the price tag should be, right? It, it should not make a dent in your system, and it should not involve your absolute top prospects. It just yeah. shouldn't. That's just not how these trades have gone. I wouldn't expect it. But I, I, will, I, I will ask you, I guess, I think the Cubs have done a really good job of building the depth in this system to make such moves, right, to the point where you could trade— I don't know, a few guys from the top 10, maybe the bottom portion of the top 10 and some depth guys or whatever. Maybe you include some major league talent or some money, whatever, um, to to get these things done. And, and you've done so much work so that you shouldn't really feel it, right? You've built that depth. It's the whole point of building that depth. You can't just wait for all these prospects to come up and play, right? Like there's only nine positions on the field. So we've been waiting for them to use this depth to bring in major league talent to help the roster. Is there anybody, and I'm not talking about Alonzo or Soto, I'm talking any trade, right? Is there anybody in this system that you're absolutely not, you're not moving them? Or are you open to anything? I'm open to everyone. Everyone. It even includes PCA. PCA, to me, the, the floor is so high, you know? I think you think of PCA as like a Dansby-esque type player, where if he's just League average offensively, you're approaching four plus war territory. The value on that is absurd. And yeah. I totally understand that. Then again, you do have to factor in what do offensive guys project with Pico Armstrong's profile? Guys who tend to whiff a little bit more than you would like for a hitter with that power profile. And there is some scenarios where he doesn't end up when you try to project those hitters as a valuable offensive bat. And then the question is, well, can you throw this guy out there despite that defense? And I think there's a difference in expecting that to happen where I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, he's doomed to have failures at the dish is part of the thinking process when you're trying to go out and trade a potentially high value, high defensive floor value prospect for someone who hopefully can contribute for war next year and then years to come. Now, does that mean that's in the Juan Soto discussion? I don't know. Does that mean it's in a different player whom we're not even thinking about? Possibly as well. But I am open to everyone. If there were a play, if there were a, a prospect in this system, Corey, that had Juan Soto-esque numbers where you're striking out at top-tier rates where you're hitting for a ton of power, where you're walking a ton, then I would probably be inclined to say, oh, he's untouchable, but we don't have any of those guys right now. So you do have to factor in what is the risk on having a player who in some simulations ends up not being above league average. And again, not saying that's the case for Pete Armstrong. The athleticism's off the charts. He has shown non-linear adjustments, improvements, both in contact and power. And so I would expect 
There are scenarios where it's on the other extreme end, where it becomes a Dansby and then some type player. So you do have to factor that in. But there is some volatility where there could be some wiggle room where the right deal makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, look, and and I, we're not relitigating these trades, but, you know, you go back to the last core, right? And and the only point I would make is, like, every front office, that 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 farm was very developed. And, you know, you can argue that I think had more top tier talent, but this one has more depth. That seems fair to say, right? Yeah. And that front office had to make a choice, right? There's only so many positions on the field, right? And you're not going to fill them all with rookies, right? You have to make a choice. And, and that front office said, you know what, we are going to roll with Javi Baez, Schwarbs, Rizzo, KB, Rizzo wasn't really a prospect, but you guys know what I mean. And in in that's in the same sense. And they decided we're going to use Eloy Jimenez, Glaber Torres, eventually Jorge Soler to acquire other pieces. Again, we're not relitigating those trades. We don't need to do that, do that, right? But it's just an example. Eventually comes a time where you say, you know what? These are the guys we believe in. We are not going to move them. These are the, the guys we're earmarking for future cornerstones of this team. We're going to continue to develop them and bring them up. And then there's other guys you say, you know what, we're we're willing to part with them. Like we've yeah. made the decision. We're okay with that. And it's just how it is. And I know it's fun to move up those prospect rankings and dream on a lot of these guys. Kevin Alcantara had a huge game, I think, in the fall fall league uh, two days ago, right? He's, he's flipping his bat, whatever. He looks great, looks right? Good. Stealing bases. Stealing bases. Yeah. Some of the prospect writers just tweeting things out, like Cubs fans are going to love Kevin Alcantara, right? And I'm not saying they, they should trade him or keep him, whatever. I, I'm just saying that you can't develop and play everybody. At some point, if you want to win in the, in the now, in the present, you have to use your system to supplement the moves you're able to make. And when you look at the free agent market, right, we talked about it, like the Cubs have a hole at third base. Matt Chapman maybe seemed like a guy who could fill that. He's 31 and he had a good start to the year and I think a brutal finish to his season doesn't seem like the answer right and then you're dealing with a guy who might be in his mid-30s like the the point being that everything Jed wants to accomplish is not something he can just throw money at and we just watched the Padres and Mets try to kind of do that and it doesn't always work right so it has to be a blend of all of these things that's how the best teams do it and I don't think that any of the moves we've talked about would require moving prospects that I think people would be like itchy about. Yeah. But the general idea is if you want them to get where we all want this team to be, you have to be willing to let some of them go. Well, these front offices, we saw it even in DePoto's uh, postseason yeah. uh, presser. They don't think in one-year windows. Like, Admittedly, you and I possibly do in these one-year windows. Right. They think in five... 10-year windows. We even heard Theo Epstein talk about this when he was with the Cubs, saying, if you make the playoffs eight of 10 years, you likely win a World Series. And yeah. for Theo's era, the came earlier up front and front-loaded that. So there, there is a way that front office think about this, that we don't think about this. And I think it informs what you're saying right there with certain prospects not having playing time 
but also you're trying to time the value, the optimal value of these guys. So there were instances in the mid-2010s, end of the 2010s era, where even the front office expressed, you know what, we held on to guys too long. You know, you can think about Albert Omora as one of them. You can think about Kyle Schwarber also as one of them who was just let go for nothing, budget restrictions nonetheless, but still let go. And when we think about P. Crew Armstrong or Kevin Alcantara or Matt Shaw or Cade Horton, part of the calculus is, okay, what are our chances? The major league team is ready to win X amount of games, align the peak of that value with those prospects coming up. And if there is some volatility in the projections, including P. Crow Armstrong, that in a different scenario limits the volatility in a trade, I think they would be willing to do that. And I don't want, I feel like this is a negative thing to say about PCA, but it's not. But you still have to, you do have to talk about this in realistic discussions. He did whiff at a 30% rate last year, Corey. We're talking about Pete Crow Armstrong versus Pete Alonzo, and the difference is about eight percentage points in contact rate. And Pete Crow Armstrong does not hit 50 home runs, Corey. This is what I'm talking about. So there is a lot of volatility there, and you have to weigh all these different scenarios, which why I'm open to trading basically anyone at, at this point. Yeah. There is the last point, I'll turn it back to you, but it's also one reason why when we're looking at Dansby Swanson and we're looking about projecting offensive guys, and a year ago we talked about this with Dansby signing, Dansby's profile having a contact rate of 71%. P. Crow Armstrong right now is at 70% in AAA, not Major League Baseball. He was overmatched when he got called up, right? So for P. Crow Armstrong, in my mind, to even reach like the 75th percentile of his projection will have to hit for Dansby Power and hopefully improve that contact rate. That's still a very difficult ask given where the Cubs are in their timeline. Dansby will be entering his 30s. Ian Happ, Nico Horner, you know, Justice Steele is going to be 29, 30. There may be some misalignment that might make fans uncomfortable when they, when those names do come up in trade talks, yeah. but I think you should get ready for it. This is going to be a different way of operating. Well, and, and ultimately... You know, you have to trust. We don't have a choice, right? You don't have to like it, but you have to trust that. So, going to what you said about Jerry Depoto, the the uh, Mariners, Mariners. I don't know if he's their GM or their president, but he's their, is, the leader he's, he's, of their baseball operations. The department. leader is that is that the actual term? <laughs> no, I, I'm saying I'm, some teams don't have that. the president. I, I don't know what to call them, but he's the top person. Whatever the their baseball yeah, office, the supreme leader of the Seattle Mariners. Yeah, <laughs> That's what I would want to be called if I ran the Chicago Cubs. Uh, it's a personality. I'm not the GM. I'm the supreme leader of the Chicago Cubs. Um, what he said was, I can't tell you if we're going to win a World Series, but if we win 54% of our games, like <laughs> all the time, we're going to have a, I, I have the quote here. Uh, yeah. we're, we're looking at a six to 10 year window. When I talk about sustainability, I can't tell you that we're going to win the World Series. I can tell you that if we win 54% of our games over the course of a decade, you're going to play in a World Series. Teams that do those things get in the World Series yada 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 right it was very poorly received right because a lot of people are the fans come on huh? right no and he apologized he literally apologized yeah. for it and he was like i see the way that's being received Without. our goal isn't to be mediocre blah, blah blah the larger point though 
right, is, as you pointed out, it is an insight into how front office members work. Because you also have to remember, like, this is their job. This is their livelihood. They have a certain level they need to reach to keep that, right? Even having the most ambitious goals, right? But I think it's it's just a highlight of Jed and, and his front office need to start delivering results, right? And you have to trust that the path they take to get there is the right one. And if it's not, they're going to pay for it, right? You look back at this last Cubs group. They committed to a certain group, and a lot of them fizzled out, right? They traded away some guys. They made some decisions that ultimately, and they were not as much as they should have been supported financially by their ownership group, right? Don't come at me. I'll get to it eventually, right? Um, But they had to make the decision when Jed took over to start things over. And you can go back and look at any number of those decisions, right? And say, well, this wasn't a good one. They committed too long to Albert Almora, right? Who never developed into the player that they believed. The the reason I bring that up though, is that you have to have the conviction, right? They had to have the conviction. You know what? We believe in this player, we are going to try to see this through. And if it doesn't work, it's on them. The stated goals from this front office, I think, are correct, right? They want to be good for a long period of time. They want to be a team that blows teams out. They want to emulate what teams like the Dodgers and the Braves have done in terms of bringing in outside talent to help extending players, keeping a core intact for a good amount of time, and using your system to acquire those players and create them yourselves. But it doesn't happen overnight. So when you're looking at how do they get from an 83 fringe wildcard team in 2023 to continuing along that path, you have to trust that if they decide to trade someone, they don't see them in that future plan or they believe the player they are acquiring is more important to hitting that goal. If they are not correct, it's not on me. It's not on you. It's not on any other podcast or blog or writer for speculating or liking a trade or liking a move. I don't get paid to do it, right? So it's on Jed and it may make you uncomfortable. It may be a prospect that you love and believe is going to be the next big thing and, and you you can't you're dreading seeing him traded for what, like one or two years or of of somebody's services but this is where this organization is if they want to take this next step they're going to have to make some uncomfortable moves and this is one of those off seasons where yeah i would i would caution being prepared for that yeah this is a negative thing to say it depends how you <laughs> interpret it but this this is probably interpreted as negative the likelihood is, the likelihood, if we're going to use 54% wins, as Depoto said, the likelihood... Well, we don't want to be the Mariners, but yes, anyway. Yes, the likelihood is it's not going to work. Because most teams don't have the juggernaut stable for an office. And when we talk about wanting to be the Braves and Dodgers and Rays, even though they have not won a World Series either... They are the exception to the rule. So as a result, when we talk about the front office, despite the successes, it's still the exception to the rule that they would enter a territory where 
we're going to give trust in the process. You can understand what they're trying to do, which we talk about exhaustively, but they will have to innovate. They will have to take the next step forward where you're entering the territory we're talking about the Dodgers. And so when cracks occur, which is what we saw in 2023, it does it does suggest that it's not probable that they can get to that point. And it does introduce it's, it's a difficult. greater degree of yeah. skepticism. And I'll do this ad break here and we'll we'll get into more of this. It might be a it, longer it, it sound it sounds negative, but it's very difficult. It's it's a very difficult position. That's what I mean by probably. Yeah. It's probably not going to happen. But I feel if you want to map out like the chances, I would consider the Cubs among all their teams, all their 25 teams who are not the Dodgers Braves, I would consider them to have some of the best chances. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, you, which, is you a, have, which is a good place to be. You have the resources to supplement a lot of things. Yeah. Which is why a lot of people were mad at how the, you know, like 2018, 2019 For seasons sure. went because that's where you really needed it. For you sure. did a lot of the other stuff and you really needed the money to go over the top. But to finish that off. Long, but, long-winded thing, but, you know, I, but, it, but it's, it's part of the discussion. But... But it is very difficult. It's very difficult. And then, you know, you're relying on injury health and all sorts of different random factors, even if yeah. you lay out the best plan and decisions making. So it is it is difficult, but that is the goal, right? And they made some progress towards that next, last year, but a big offseason, as we've talked about a lot, to kind of continue on that right foot. Okay, so let's do these ad breaks here. We'll throw it back to you. Uh, ad break here from our new sponsor. First, I've read this. Charlie the Bacon Guy. What a name. Charlie the Bacon Guy is based out of Woodridge, Illinois, and he makes craft bacon and bacon jams in over 30 different flavors. This product is always all natural, no fancy preservative products. You can order lots of bacon. It's vacuum sealed and freezes great. The bacon lasts in the package up to 45 days in the fridge and even six months in the freezer. Bacon jam lasts about 60 days in the fridge, usually about 20 seconds in my house. And up to six months in the freezer. Some of our favorites are maple pepper, French toast, uh, chorizo. This bacon jam goes perfectly in anything, in scrambled eggs, toast, crackers, burgers, grilled cheese, or Charlie's favorite, the spoon. He will deliver to you, meet you halfway, or even ship it. He will get you the bacon on time. You can contact Charlie on Instagram at Charlie the Bacon Guy on Twitter at CZ the Bacon Guy. Even email him, charliethebaconguy at gmail.com. And his website is coming soon, so stay tuned to that second break here. For well, and I was just going to say, we've had some of uh, Charlie the Bacon Guy's stuff in the CHGO studios. Yeah. Uh, so I've you, seen pictures you, of it. It looks it, phenomenal. It, if you like bacon and you're this curious, I, I'm telling you, like, <laughs> try it. It's it's really good. And if, it, yeah. And I mean, the bacon jam, I don't think in that read you mentioned pizza, but like, throw it on some pizza. Like, really? Trust me All on right. that one. Yeah. All right. We'll trust you on that one. All right. Corey, are you in the market for a new or used vehicle? If you are, then we have some great news for you because Ray Chevy and Fox Lake has joined the CHGO team. And we were talking to the team at Ray, and they have this pledge called the Ray Price Promise. It's a guarantee 
that the price you see online is a price you pay when you walk into their dealership. We found that in many cases, other dealers will raise the price on you when you come into the dealership saying things like, are you a recent college grad? Are you active in the military? Are you a farmer? And in most cases, the answer will be no. That includes me, myself. I wish I were a recent college grad, but as the years go by, that is extending way beyond my time. And that's when the other dealers will raise the price on you, saying the price online is included, limited rebates that you do not qualify for. Well, at Ray, that's not the case. The price you see online is a price you pay with no add-ons to the price ever. In fact, Ray will do everything possible to find additional savings for you, which may make the price lower than you see online. And as one of the top dealers in the Midwest, you'll always be able to stop at one of Chicagoland's largest inventories. And right now, you can save big at Ray Chevy during their truck or treat savings event because 0% is back and now available on new Silverado trucks, the perfect tailgate vehicle. So come on into Ray Chevrolet and Fox Lake and find the vehicle you've been searching for. And best of all, pay zero hidden fees with the Ray Price Promise. Visit Ray Chevrolet and Fox Lake or RayChevrolet.com. Serving the community since 1963. Find new roads. All right, Brendan. Uh, let's talk about David Ross. Yes. Um, so, this is a nuanced discussion, by the way. Yes. So, I can tell you were apprehensive about what I was saying before. No, not really. Um, bit, that's okay. I think where we are, right, is you heard from Tom, who referred to Ross as the manager next year. Jed Hoyer, in his press conference, addressed things, talked about it. Uh, but I, I will read this quote from Ryan Herrera's article at allchgo.com. Uh, but the ultimate sentiment is he's their guy. They backed him, and like I said, he's under contract, so they really don't have to offer another update on this. They're, he, he's the manager until they say otherwise, so we may hear nothing more of this, right? Uh, but in his presser, Jed said, quote, do we have disagreements and do we have no heated conversations? Of course we do, but you will with any manager. They have to make so many different decisions. They have so many things to weigh, so obviously we work hard all the time to give him the right information. And if there are things that we disagree with or things that we can do better, he's very open-minded to that. He's constantly trying to improve. Ultimately, we're very pleased with the job he did this year, and I think that he should be proud of the fact that group kept fighting for him. So again, it does not seem productive for us to have a conversation of should they keep him, should they not, because it seems like they're going to. So my opinion aside, your opinion aside, it just doesn't really seem worth the time if it's not a decision that's up in the air, right? So what I do think could be productive, though, is David Ross is under contract for 2024. He has an option for 2025. So let's call it a one-year contract, right? What did we like from him in 2023? And Jed has always talked about David Ross as someone who is willing to listen, willing to improve, has a willingness to improve, etc. What do we need to see from him in 2024 that is a tangible thing that could happen, right? And I say that because I think some people will have criticisms of him that isn't going to change, right? But what are things he could actually learn 
and improve upon as a manager going into next year. The expectations are going to be raised. The expectations will be at a level he has not experienced as a manager, right? Yeah. And so the, the, the pressure is on, right? Because if next year doesn't go well, the eyes are going to be on him first. And if it's not going well to start with a guy on a one-year deal, they might be on him right away. So that's a, a big question, but let's start there. I think before we even get into that specific, laying the foundation how I think about this, the defense for David Ross, the defense for the front office describing David Ross as their guy, in my mind, is the following. Number one, baseball is ever-evolving. It requires an open-minded manager to execute new plans, new developments, and it's a cohesive group collaboration. When they express their uh, likings of Ross's job, it's always in the context of him being open-minded and willing to listen. Generally speaking, I want collaboration amongst all levels. When I talk with you about baseball and the pitching infrastructure. I'm excited because you see some instances of a cohesive strategy all the way down to the lower levels. I don't want a manager who is not aligned with the front office's thinking. And there was a quote that I think we'll probably be talking about this throughout the offseason, but the quote from Ross to paraphrase that we're going to play the guys who got us there, I think think, and you can criticize how it's discussed in the media, especially in the context of how certain guys played in September with the lack of off days. But from what we've heard from the beats, including our guy, Ryan Herrera, it's anything but that, where he's very open-minded to playing new guys. And I think there's some coin flip in-game decisions from the bullpen perspective, from the actual lineup construction. When I say coin flip 50-50, the ultimately are difficult to argue against Ross. There's, it's a difficult argument to make, despite your, as a fan, not you, but just fans in general, uh, uh, ferocity in wanting to make that argument. I totally understand that. But for this front office to do what they want, to execute their strategy, they need a surety that their manager will be able to do that. And if they're expressing that they have confidence Ross can do that, then when I evaluate the front office, which I will in the end, at the end of the offseason and at the end of next season, when I evaluate the front office, David Ross's decisions are insight into their brains. So when I see moves being made on the field, I'm not interpreting that as David Ross alone. I'm interpreting those moves as what the front office is trying to do. If David Ross is not this manager, Corey, I don't think this front office is going to exist. They've aligned themselves. Mm -hmm. And they do have, when you and I talk about the fit pitching infrastructure, and when we talk about the scouting development, and we talk about all this, they are all married. David Ross is part of that. And so if Ross is not here, I imagine the front office won't be here as well, for better or for worse, however you want to interpret that. 
Yeah, so I think I don't want to speak for him, but I'm I'm guessing that at some point our good friend Niran will be in these comments, and he is always one to kind of push back. I think on at least some of the criticisms of Ross, and say the the front office is making a lot of these decisions. You know, like a lot of they're, people they're are open dialogue, or they or ways. they are signing off on them, or they have their input on them. Like the the I think that too many fans have the idea that like. Ross is his own entity. Like, here's the front office. Here's Ross. And it's well, that's really, why Madden was fine. really more like this, right? Um, that was a very rudimentary presentation from me. But um, visual aid, you know, I don't have like I a chart. I can make a so. chart for you. If yeah. You want. Um, again, my opinion. Not that it matters, and I don't want to wade too much into to this discussion. I lean that I don't really like him as a manager. Um, I so, think so. I don't want to lean into it, which sure. I know we could do this for an well, hour. It, it, but can it, you give me like so a, just a brief, too I long can, to read version of it? So I I feel like he is the type of manager who can get you by with a a good roster, a really solid, foolproof roster. Um, the 2016 Chicago Cubs. I don't think David Ross is messing that up, right? Uh, but I think when you look at a team like they had last year, I don't think he's giving you enough of an advantage. And now there's a lot of managers that I, they're few and far between that I feel like they do, but I feel like, you know, you watch some games and I just feel like head to head, like as an example, Craig Council is playing better chess than David Ross, right? And I just don't feel Ross is doing that. But do I feel like he's a manager that's going to cost you and and prevent them if you make the roster good enough no because i think one thing that that myself and i think a lot of people don't really consider and you do hear this when they speak about it like the jed did not look at at this as david ross being the manager so the team collapsing in the last 3 weeks falls on him in the way they spoke about it they seemed to look at it quite contrarily right they looked at it as the group stayed with him when they were 10 games under 500 and had to play well heading into the deadline and that's what they're really highlighting as as giving david ross credit for right so i think a lot of us looked at it that way like oh if they collapse like this has to go on the manager they're tired they're making mistakes this that and the other doesn't seem like the front office felt that way Right, I don't and think again, they would is, express that even if it were the case, though. Sure, but but at yeah. the same time, will, though, this is Jed's job. If that. he felt that way, they would get rid of him. Yeah, for sure. So the, the fact right. that they're bringing him back and what they are saying publicly is kind of not looking at it that way. And Jed in the in the press conference took a lot of account a lot of accountability. He mentioned a lot of times that the depth wasn't there. The roster wasn't good enough. Some of the moves they made earlier, he acknowledged all of this. He took a lot of accountability for a lot of the stuff that you and I were complaining about at the beginning of last year and ultimately in these last few weeks, dialing in on his potential reasons why they weren't going to make the playoffs. He took accountability for it. Looking at one of the quotes, he said, uh, the shell of a really good team is there. Obviously, we have to make additions and we have to find ways to improve, but I feel really good given where we were a year ago, right? Like he says the shell of a good team is there. He doesn't say, I did a really good job. This roster was great. We have nothing to improve upon, right? And again, 
parsing through the words that they say publicly is not my favorite thing to do because they have their own agenda. They don't need to lay all their cards on the table. But I guess my point is, if they didn't like the job he did, they would have fired him. If right. he was pissed off like we all were that Alexander Canario wasn't playing enough, they would have fired him. Right. And it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. And what they are saying to us is, no, the players like playing for him. The clubhouse was good, and the clubhouse stuck with him during for really difficult times that ultimately got them back in this race. You don't have to look at it that way as a fan. I'm not yeah. telling you how to view things, but this is what I, I always say. We, you and I are trying to have conversations based in reality, right? Would I like them to spend $500 million this off season? Yes, that isn't going to happen, right? So you and I coming on here and complaining that Tom doesn't spend $500 million doesn't really serve much of a purpose, now does it, right? So it's the same with this. If they're keeping him they're keeping him. And this is yeah. the lens that they are looking through. But if we're talking about things I'd like to see him improve upon, there, there's two things. One, I think he is going to be really challenged with some of the stuff we did see at the end of the year with Canario and PCA. Both different scenarios, and they're challenging. But as you continue on this path, you are going to have to get used to integrating young players while you are trying to compete. It's very difficult, right? If they're not succeeding, etc. We all agree that PCA looked overmatched in his time here, but of course he did, right? He's very young. He had a higher K rate at AAA. He might not have been immediately ready for that call-up, and that's fine. He's very young, right? But him playing starting on a Monday, then pinch hitting on a Friday, and then not starting it, how's he going to learn? that way. Now you're in the middle of a playoff race. So is there time for him to learn? Not my job to deal with that, but it is his. And as you go forward here, you're going to see more of these guys. You're going to see Cade Horton at some point. You might see Matt Shaw at some point, right? Maybe not next year, but you you get what I mean. You're going to see Matt Shaw next year. And it's one of those things where he is going to have to be good about that. The other thing, and there's, there's a few, I would like to see less instances where he seems to be not quick enough with some of those pitching decisions. I know the bullpen was a mess. I know your starters weren't going deep, et cetera. I did feel down the stretch there were too many instances where someone like Quas, for example, who is wild at times, they didn't have anybody up, right? Tyone doing well, going deeper into the game, third time through the order, it's not going as well, and you don't have anybody up. And yeah, too many know, changes. Man. You think of that Drew Smiley game in Detroit, too, yeah. right? Too many instances where the move was made after the game was lost, right? And again, imperfect roster. The bullpen was bad. He, he wasn't given the best hand, but that's one of those things, especially as you, you hopefully have better players, right? You got to be, I, I need a little less kind of getting caught with your pants around your ankles. Cause it felt like that happened sure. a good bit. Sure. Oh, I feel as if those decisions have so much more nuance than they did even four or five years ago. The reason I think that is because what goes into improving pitchers is so much more layered and complex. You have 
a pitch wow, designer. Brendan, the David Ross defender. I didn't know. I'm, play, I'm playing devil's advocate. And to some degree, <laughs> I actually genuinely believe this. So maybe I am defending David Ross. But you have Daniel Moskos. You have Andy Green. You have uh, Tommy Hadovy. You have the bullpen coach. You have a whole entire pitching infrastructure. You have legitimate like data scientists who are working on this. There are so many side sessions. There are so many behind the scenes processes that go into ultimately deciding who gets, gets these opportunities. Now, you look at the decision for Jose Quas in a vacuum, you talk about lack of control. He did have lack of control. I talk about a desire to miss bats. When you look at Jose Quas, he had the best whiff rate on the Cubs. Well, that was just uh, one just let me let me sure. finish. But I know. But I'm saying, generally speaking, you can look at these things on your Fangraphs page, as I do. You can look at these on your Baseball Savant page, as we I do. We are a Fangraphs family. We are a Fangraphs family. And there was a point where, in early August to the end of August, Jose Quas decided to be a different pitcher where he developed a new slider, right? So what goes into the process? We were talking about Daniel Moskos designing the pitch to Tommy Hadovy, overseeing the bullpen session, the Miguel Amaya giving input to the coaches, to the front office exchanging information and ideas with David Ross, who has to make the ultimate decision with Andy Green's input. It's very layered, right? So if you have a manager who's very, uh, you know, stubborn and in their own mind, you need other input. And you may make the wrong decision and you actually may make the right decision and it just may not work out. Right. And to your, now to your point, what would I like to see since we're talking about this, there's a balance of urgency development and long-term stability. And I think what was sinking this team was a collaborative hyper urgency in June, July, and August with Ross's decisions not aligning with the front office's decisions at the deadline, even beforehand in 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 December, January, and February, and also a failure of developing AAA pitchers. So I'm going to read off just the amount of innings that the Cubs relievers pitched in June, July, and August before the September collapse. June. Fulmer, 14 innings. Merriweather, 12 innings. Ladder, 11 innings. In July, Fulmer. This is with an all-star break, by the way. Fulmer, 12 innings. Ladder, 12. Alzolai, now up and put into that closer role, 13. Come back around in August. Ladder, 12. Quast, 12. Fulmer, 9. Forearm strain, done for the year. Merriweather, 14. Alzolai, 14. Forearm strain, done for the year. Right. If you average all those innings... And you scale it to how many that would have uh, accumulated in a full season. It's almost 80 plus. Yeah. That's not sustainable, yeah. right? Especially from a group who has never done it before. And then one other point before I start elaborating well, and just, can I Can I add on to that, Please though? Do. Yes. I, I think it's one of those where, you know, obviously you were riding the guys that you could trust because you didn't have a great bullpen. But I think Cody yes. brought this up last week. Like, you di- th- there, there were there were enough opportunities in games where you could have tried to get Daniel Palencia or some of these guys more innings and experience so that then you could trust them come the end of the year. It's a cumulative thing. It is. And 
burning those guys so much in those, you know, June, July, August, it, 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 it's a price to pay. And again, he was trying to, to work with a, a less than great hand. But as I, I think that's sort of similar to the point I'm making, you're going to get more of these young guys. You have to find the right way to balance giving them an opportunity to contribute. I totally agree with that. And, and Generally speaking, I think they did a good job balancing that. There is an earlier point in the time. If you I, sometimes you get annoyed with me, annoyed with me doing this, but like if you dial in on that Daniel yeah. Palencia stuff, <laughs> if you dial in that Daniel Palencia stuff, there was a few stretches there where he couldn't throw a slider. He like there was one outing he threw a fastball twelve straight times. Why is that? Well, he didn't have fuel for a slider. And then my worst case scenario, you start thinking, oh my god. Is he going to go and be Jeremiah Estrada where he can't throw sliders? And oh my God, is his fastball going to escape him? And again, that all that input is not just going straight to David Ross. It's going to all the coaches. It's going to everyone involved. And they're making the best decision possible. Where I think, to your point, could there be a balance? Yeah, I think there could be a balance. I don't think a year like this will happen again that allows the front office to exist as its current form. Either yeah. the front office blows up or you get new people in. And well, if and you it, look at, I want to say this and then I'll throw it back to you because it gives more context. I think it might give you more context from what you're about to say. The AAA development this year was non-existent. So it's very difficult for me to reconcile how we like the overall direction of the pitching infrastructure and Justice Steele's development and Assad and leveraging relievers coming in who were previously DFA'd or let go, optimizing the most out of that with the younger guys in AAA who had walk rates that were astronomical when we heard about Cam Sanders potentially being a guy who could eat innings. Ultimately, in 65 innings, he had a K per nine of 13, which is good, but a walk per nine of 10 batters, Corey. It's not... That's not going to work. Rowan Wick fell off the table for some God knows reason. Yeah. Walk per nine of six. Keegan, Keegan Thompson, walk yeah. per nine of seven. You can go down the list. Ben Braun, walk per nine over six. Anthony Kay, walk per nine, almost five and a half. Brendan Little, walk per nine of almost five. That is so high yeah. that it is. it has to be fixed or it's going to result in a lot of people getting fired, right? Had there been AAA development, I think you would have had Ross experiment with that more, but they were failing those experiments even in AAA Mm -hmm. before they even got to Ross. Yeah, I mean, really all I was going to add on is that, you know, you hope that you... He has a better bullpen to deal with. Obviously, he must have a better bullpen. He has to. There's no other choice. But I I do think regardless, right? And I don't don't advocate throwing a ton of money at that because it's not a good idea, right? Well, it failed in the 2008-2019. It's a volatile way of solving this problem. But, you know, you have to to get tricky, right? You identified Julian Merriweather as a guy you wanted to bring over who was DFA'd and you had a lot of success with him, right? Like you changed Mark Leiter's role and you had success with him. So you, you, you don't need to... It's not a situation I advocate throwing a ton of money at. But at the same time, you need to give him a better bullpen. I think the the end point of that portion of the conversation is even if you give him a better bullpen, you'd he's still going to need to be better about making sure those top guys are able to be those top guys come September and October, yeah. right? You hope there's more depth there, but he needs to use that depth, right? And that's going to be something you're going to need to see from him. If you get him a top closer or something like that, well, you can't run him into the ground in June, 
right? You have to find ways to make sure these guys make it to the end. And a better roster helps, but ultimately the manager has to use them. Yes. One, uh, I would, if we're looking at 2024, I'd like to see a little more flexibility in some of the lineup stuff. I'm not going to get deep in the weeds on, oh, this person shouldn't hit third, whatever. I felt like sometimes he was a little late in terms of switching some guys or making sure that the best guys were getting the most played appearances. I think that's the simplest way to look at it, right? Like Cody Bellinger hitting fourth, generally fine, right? But a lot of times he wasn't coming up in that first inning. Games were ending with him in the on-deck circle, and he was your one true star on offense, right? Yeah. And I would have some of that, right? Say a Suzuki was one of the hottest players in the league for over a month before he got moved from the six hole, right? Like just a little more, I don't want to call it stubbornness, like, but he was sticking with kind of those set things and I don't need him to be Joe Madden where it's a different lineup every other day, right? But when a guy's hot and you have some clear top tier offensive contributors, get them up in the lineup, get them more plate appearances, you know, and, and don't, if guys are cold, you don't have to stick with them, uh, forever. Right. Um, the other thing very simply, and Jed pointed this out the day after it happened, whatever, I I don't know if we need to get him the book by, was that Tom Tango, the old, the the initial saber metrics kind of like introduction. I don't know if he needs to sit down with Jed or some of the analysts, please stop bunting. Stop bunting. Yes. A- a- really ever, right? Like ple- <laughs> like that was, the, if there was one thing where I would dial in and go, I'm, I'm like concerned about that. It was, it was those bunts. It's such an old school mentality. And like, especially in, the, in those, that game against the Braves that they lose six to nothing, you're up against the best offense in the league and you're playing for single runs at a time, just giving away outs. That was the one area where then you heard Jed Hoyer on the radio the next day going, yeah, I'm generally viewing outs as currency, and I don't like to give that currency away. That was one of those instances where I was like, yeah, they're going to talk about that because <laughs> there's a disconnect there. Uh, you know, we saw Patrick Wisdom bunting. Multiple times. At certain points in the year, you're, yeah. you're, Against you're the one true three-outcome slugger, right? Like, if we're looking at like, hey, you, you got to stop doing that. You need to be better about that. There's certain things, hey, the roster wasn't good enough, or Jed has a hand in this, or they communicate about these things. It's not just his decision. Fine. The bunting, stop it. And if you, even <laughs> if some of those instances were on the players, they're your players. They should right. know not to do that. Right. So stop it. Try to score runs. As Jed always says, and we bring this quote up all the time, the best offenses blow people out. You know how you blow people out? By hitting dingers, Brendan, not by bunting. So stop bunting in 2024. David Ross, I'm trying to help you keep your job into the future. But So when we talk about Ross, those are such – those are actions that can be corrected. And that's where I fall back on. Yes, I don't like the bunting stuff. Could the bullpen in-game decisions be improved? Yeah, of course. But the big picture, how the system's operated, I I think, I believe this too, and I'm not just playing devil advocate to some degree, you need a collaboration in this sport. And I think they've done a good job with that. That we're able to talk about Mark Leiter having the role he did in May, June, and July is not random, Corey. He 
spike the splitter usage when you're getting input from your guys. Let's say, for example, you got input. Hey, <laughs> nice, uh, there nice he little is. image here. <laughs> Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, I have David Ross and giving the thumbs up at the you know yeah. the middle finger thing to leave us a like on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, we yeah, do yeah, appreciate. Yeah. Which we do. But if you look at the ladder situation, if we're getting input from your guy saying, "Hey, the splitter's looking like this," he's we're going to increase it threefold. This is a probability you can get more whiffs. If Ross is like, "All right, cool, I'm going to test him in lefty situations in the eighth inning right away," then that's the plus I'm talking about. Whereas in years past, you may get a more hard-nosed manager who's like, oh, he needs to prove it in the fifth and sixth inning. No, Ross is like, you know what? You're going in the eighth and ninth. And I remember when that was happening, I'm like, oh man, what are we doing? Mark Leiter this often? I hate that. It Mm -hmm. ended up working, but there was was a balance. I think ultimately what's clear is they... Again, I think like you said, I think they believe that they can fix some of the little things that they don't like and maybe we complain about a lot. And, you know, things change, right? Maybe they go into the year and Jed says, listen, I didn't like some of those lineups, so we're taking away some of that freedom for you, (laughs) right? If you don't like it, tough luck, right? And that's sometimes how these things work, right? Like the front office can change how they want to operate. David Ross is on a one-year contract. What's he going to say, Right. No, nope. then they go, okay, like, <laughs> go find somebody else. Yeah. Andy Green. Like, Andy Green is right there, <laughs> you know? Like, so you can address some of that stuff, but they feel, and this is not really something that we can know. We're not in there, right? Yeah. The players like playing for him, they buy in to what he is selling, and the culture inside that clubhouse is good. Something we have seen is that Dansby Swanson, and this seems to already have started in this offseason, will tell the front office that he, you know, hey, are we going to sign good players? Are we going to trade for good players? We're going to be better next year, right? If he felt there was a problem in that clubhouse, it seems like not just Dansby, but maybe Ian Happ, those guys that are clearly the leaders and have a good relationship with Jed, You'd, you'd have that sense. And I don't think David would be the manager anymore. I right? agree. Plenty of managers get fired for more or less that seems obvious to fans, right? Like Buck Showalter got fired, right? Is that because David Stearns wants to bring in Craig Council? I don't know. Right. But it's also one of those things. It, it, it's sort of a similar situation. Is he to blame for the team that, you know, that, that the Mets assembled or injuries or things like that? I don't know. I don't watch the Mets. But if if the front office felt there was a problem, they would have dealt with it, right? Yeah. They're not just going to stick with him for no reason. As I said, Jed's job is on the line at some point too. He wants to win. If he, he felt that David Ross was impeding that, then he, would he wouldn't be, be the manager anymore. Right. So and and have- that, so at least for now, that just doesn't seem to be the case. Whether everybody in our YouTube chat or you or I agree with it, right? Like that is what they have decided to do. There's a general agreement among fans that it's looking up, the direction's looking up, right? I think you you would, I know you agree with that, Yeah. but everyone sees the potential there and the path seems clear. There's light at the end of this tunnel. My overarching takeaway is if you believe that then you have to accept David Ross is going to be part of that ride to that light at the end of the tunnel 
if you think the front office is doing the right things, then Ross is part of that decision. And then one specific note, because I do want to mention it, because I thought it was insight that we haven't heard about on the Cubs coaching staff. But overall, the end of the season was a disaster. Fielding, they had 14 unearned runs in their seven losses. Yep. Disaster. Uncharacteristic. They ran into more outs on the bases than you ever saw. Disaster. Many of their guys approached 700 plate appearances, even Nico, for the first time. Could they have used days off? Probably, right? That can be optimized nonetheless. When I was listening to the guys talk about Ross after the season was over, I was listening to Nico Horner on 670, the score, and he gave insight into like the base running process in the context of P. Crow Armstrong. And Nico said he's not the fastest guy. He himself, Nico, he's not the fastest guy. He still almost stole 50 bases. And he said, we have a system in place where we can make the most on the bases. That system in place, again, it's a collaborative effort from the front office to the coaches on David Ross's staff. So there, there is a lot of good, I think you saw from David Ross. You saw a lot of good in communicating across the pitching infrastructure, getting the most out of their pitchers, perhaps to a fault, causing some fatigue and injuries. You saw them run the bases overall well throughout the year, guys breaking stolen base records despite not having plus speed. The the overall clubhouse culture is quite strong. Dansby Swanson feels as if he has the voice and the freedom to express his thoughts. That is rare. You have Jan Gomes expressing the same type of freedom for his thoughts. I think overall, the direction, the clubhouse, the collaboration amongst everyone is quite evident. And I do give Ross a lot of credit for that, despite the bunting decisions and despite leaving Jose Quas in for a third of an inning too long. I understand all of that. I understand not playing Canario at the tail end of the season. I get all of that. But where I fall back on is those are curable diseases. You can talk and refine those processes the same way I hope they end up refining the AAA lack of development and having a, a more robust, higher level AAA influx of pitchers next season. That doesn't happen. David Ross's decisions, if we're talking about David Ross making decisions for an 85-win team next year, they're all gone. The Everyone is gone if that happens again, Corey. It's not just going to be yeah. David Ross. When I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think you texted me this earlier, but I think Dave Roberts is a good example in yeah. Los Angeles of a similar thing. Like, I, I know their fans. I've read their fans complain about the way he manages some things, especially in some of those playoffs. But the front office, which a lot of people regard as one of the best in baseball or the best in baseball, right? I guess the Braves are kind of coming for them, but recently it's been the Dodgers. They keep him, right? Yeah. Despite every year they got knocked out of the playoffs and Kershaw blew some big game or something like that. The LA awful. Times would write an article about how Dave Roberts needs to go, blah, blah, blah. And they keep him. They believe in him. And I, I think a large part of that is the culture, the culture, the clubhouse, and the the general kind of attitude that that the players have playing for him because you can get a bad one right look across town at the white Sox, right like some of that has seemed like an absolute mess over the last few years right and you know of course like that's you know like the larusa thing is low-hanging fruit but like 
this stuff happens, right? And that's not what they feel is obviously going on with David Ross. And so, yeah, they feel like they can fix some of these things. If I have one request, I have a lot of requests for this offseason. or to the offseason? No. Okay. Please make sure that somebody is prepared to be the leadoff hitter, whether that's acquired from outside or Ian Happ is ready to do it because he's an on-base guy. Because at least earlier in the year, David had a thing for letting guys with 500 OPSs do it, right? Master Boney did it. Madrigal did it. And at no point did that make any sense or was that warranted? So there's some things that even if they believe in him, Jed can still David Ross proof the roster in certain ways, right? Treat him like a child is what you're saying. Not necessarily, but I'm not the guy that started a guy with a 510 OPS as your leadoff hitter, right? I'm not the guy who's acquiring those guys either. You know, well, I know. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the yeah, sure. Well, okay. You, I mean, but two sides of the same coin, I think. Yeah, I guess. And okay, I'll do this ad break here. But I, yeah, go ahead. What we're gonna say? It it felt a little too pro David Ross, and I. Well, it's I gotta throw to, some some stuff ha- in there. I know, you know, I understand it. You have to understand where I'm coming from now, right? Like my overall point of view and I stand by this, is you need to have all the tools at your disposal. And I may be among, when we talk about this, I never like to talk about this in black and white. And I'm never going to ever say, you'll never catch me say, I am 100% confident this is going to happen. If anything, Mm -hmm. I'm the most indecisive in baseball given what we always watch, right? I just told you 30 minutes ago, the front office is likely going to fail, right? What do I mean by that? You have an under 50% chance of happening, right? That's super negative. Tell me how that's not just a boulder thrown through your window, right? So when I talk about this, I'm trying to understand the process, what's going on, what they're thinking, why Ross is on this team, what has he done well is that's driving their thinking process, and all of this. Am I pro David or Ross? To be quite honest with you, I don't really think I'm pro any manager because i don't quite understand it oh you sure about that (laughs) well you can why don't you tell our (laughs) our loyal listeners a lot of people may not have listened when we were on on our own and are just listening to us uh, as the chgo cubs podcast why don't you tell us uh one of the jerseys that you have listen i was a young 20 uh, a spunky 20 year old kid i there's a World Series passion that jersey court. Uh-huh. And whose name is on the back? Listen, there's a Madden name on the back. Okay. But thank you. But I at the time He's I not went, pro any manager, everybody, though. I've you grown up. I've grown <laughs> up. I'm I think I might be getting gray hairs in my facial hair. I look at every that every morning. I'm very worried about that, by the way. Yeah. But that that's kind of what I mean by that. I I'm not defending Ross, by the way. I'm not defending the front office. I, I mean, to, to for me to even list off those AAA numbers for pitching and to list off the bulk number of innings these guys had to get at the major league level, you know that's unacceptable. How can I defend that? How can mm-hmm. you defend that, right? So that's kind of where I, I, I fall back on. Let me well, just and, add, and it, yeah. it, it does go back to, I think, like what I said, like this is the decision they made. So the best course of action, I think, from our perspective is to chart how next year is better, right? And that includes David Ross, that includes the front office, that includes everybody. These are the decisions they made, right? Yeah. It it really does not make a lot of sense for us to 
I hated this. They should fire him for that. They're not going to. So no, if you want not. me to list that off, I can. But like, they're what's not. the point? They're right. Not. So the, the most productive thing I think is he's going to be the manager again, unless something comes out of left field and they change their mind. Right. Or everybody's just saying nice things before they fire him for some reason, which I don't think is the case. Right. Yeah. Like he's the manager. So yeah. we should operate under that assumption and try, everybody should try to get better. Right. And that's what I think well, the organization is going to try to do. So and that's what it is. Right. We're, we're fans and we treat this with a large brush stroke as something being good and something being bad. And we'll always do that because that's who we are. But guys do improve. Perhaps David Ross's development is not linear, Corey. Perhaps David Ross is treated as a managerial prospect, even though it's been multiple years now. But guys are always improving. Dansby Swanson was trying to alter his plate approach in September and August. Contact rate went up to north of 80%. It's absurd. He almost looked as if he was Nico Horner or some of these half-bats making the contact, right? Everyone is trying to improve. Nothing despite... I can get into a whole tangent here. I would do this at I swear to God. But when we talk about like stability and metrics and all this stuff, like all oh, plate approaches and discipline and Walker stabilized and 50 plate appearances... You know, that's kind of a stupid thing to say. That's a stupid thing to say because everyone is always adapting. Maybe something's reflective in a 50-plate approach sample, but people change so so quickly in this sport. It's kind of a stupid thing to say. That's the side. Let me just add a break here before I start going on, on, on a tangent here. Uh, Goose Island, Corey. Uh, I need a lot of Goose Islands after talking about David Ross and you, you know, thinking I'm the biggest... David Ross defender. Over well, I, look, our, our our good friend in the chat, Sean Caselli, is going to label you as a David Ross defender. I'm okay. just telling you the future. Are we gonna if Sean is tuning in, I'm just telling you. Okay. You know, so. well, you can, we can rewind this YouTube video and go back to the 20-minute marker and we talk about the front office. Uh, I love all you listeners, by the way. Thank you for tuning in and, and, and saying hello and commenting. Uh, Goose Island, Chicago's beer since 1988. They have a deep beer roster, deeper then any Cubs potential bullpen could have ever been in 2023. They have the Oktoberfest. It's October. Go get an Oktoberfest. Uh, they have the Beer Hug family. My favorite, the 312 Weedale. Cody's favorite, the Full Pocket Pilsner, who he finally gave credit to me introducing him that beer. It's the everyday beer. It's what the brewers are drinking. You can grab ultra fresh brewery exclusive beers at Goose Island's original brew house on Clybourne Avenue in Lincoln Park or from their tap room on Fulton Street in Westtown, Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago's Beer. All right. And of course, I do want to give a quick mention and remind you guys to check out becoming a diehard member over at allchgo.com. Com. Don't forget, of course, you get discounts on all the events. Uh, the crew just had another tailgate uh, last week ahead of the Bears and Broncos. If you sign up, you get a 20% discount on tailgates. You get a free shirt. You get access to the members-only Discord. There is exclusive written content at allchgo.com from our bevy of great writers uh, that is for diehards only. There are diehard happy hours. There are uh, Blackhawks events coming up. I'm sure there will be Bulls takeovers. We did the 
Cubs and Sox takeovers this summer. You get a discount on all those events, free merch. Uh, it's a it's a really good deal, and we're building a really wonderful community here at uh, CHGO. So go to all CHGO and check allchgo.com and check out becoming a die hard member. Uh, as I say that, uh, you know, our Bears team has been doing incredible coverage. They're doing live watch-alongs for this right Bears now? season. The Blackhawks team is is covering uh, Connor Bedard uh, in every, every little detail. Uh, they will have everything for you uh, on the upcoming Blackhawks oh, season. So huh. a great uh, a great time to become a diehard member at allchgo.com. So uh, we are over the 90-minute mark. Um, Typical. One of the things with us moving to Friday and being uh, video on demand is that we have free reign here. So you might get some four-hour episodes for all I know. Um, The Juan Soto episode I think will be pretty long. Um, It's the entire day event. Yeah. But (laughs) I I do want to wrap up. But I I, I think, you know, a good way to sort of finish up and and set the table for the rest of this offseason. Again, you know, we're just headed into the division series. um, So if any of, you know, I, I think the Brewers were our main enemy, right? And kind of the this can't happen kind of team for yeah. for most of us if you still have enemies for your own personal preferences uh alive i in have these lots playoffs, of enemies you know lots of i i wish i don't wish them well uh yeah. i i you know i don't know that there's a perfect team for everybody uh, for my money baltimore feels pretty innocuous brandon to hyde. the chicago cubs brandon hyde sure I, like what have they ever done to us right like i, I don't have any issue there but it maybe somebody does so if you do have enemies i hope that you don't have to watch them win the World Series, but our main enemy has been vanquished, and we thank our friends at PHNX. Uh, even though they got into the playoffs over the Cubs, but that was the Cubs' own fault. They went one and six against them. We really can't hold that against. A lot of Diamondbacks trauma. I love PHNX. That's a lot sure. Of Diamondbacks yeah. trauma. But I'm just saying, like the they vanquished our main enemy, and the Cubs could have just respect. beaten them to get in the playoffs. So I, yeah. I don't know if I hold any ill will towards Arizona. Um. But but I, I want to end with this, uh, and it, it sort of just, I think, sets the table for everything. Um, and it's, it's back to that quote that I was starting to read before uh, from Jed Hoyer in his end-of-the-season presser. Quote, the shell of a really good team is there. Obviously, we have to make additions, and we have to find ways to improve. But I feel really good given where we were a year ago. The number of pieces that we have that are contributing players on a really good team is there, and we just need to supplement that and play very similar baseball to this year. We just have to find a way to avoid the ups and downs as much and finish the race stronger. He went on to say about planning for the offseason— Quote, I was hoping to have less of October to do off-season planning, but certainly will get right to work. And where I would end, Brendan, is just that. Get to work. Get it done. The shell of a team is there. The contributing players are there. Go add the stars. Give your manager as much pitching depth as humanly possible so that your three good relievers don't get run down in August, right? Well, July, actually. Right. Get some big time contributors so that everybody's not freaking out about certain guys not performing on offense when they shouldn't be that high in the order, et cetera, et cetera. The shell of a good team is there. Now go build a great team. Yeah. Okay. You said it all, Jed, not me, right? Tom said it. You said it. Go do it. 
You have all October to plan. You didn't want to have that much time to plan. Well, great. You have more time to do Here your you homework. Here we right? go. I'm ready. So, this will be the defining off season. You had defining off seasons. I think the defining off season was in probably 2015 before the Cubs won the World Series, by the way. We have not even gotten to that. In 2016, this is a defining off season. This is one of those off seasons where you bring in, you know, the the Ben Zobris, the intention of Jason Hayward coming right, in, right. and you layer upon layer upon layer upon layer the current roster. Well, and, and very different team, but I think the mentality similar. That's what I right? mean. The, the, mentality. the 2015 team yeah. won 97 games, but I think you could look at that in the same way and say. The shell is there, a, a much better shell than they currently have. A great right? shell, yeah. But you didn't stop. You said, you know what we need is big-time players. We need a huge veteran, multi-positional presence in Ben Zobrist, and we are going to spend a ton of money, again, with the intention of bringing in a star on offense and defense and Jason Hayward. It didn't work out that way, but they approached the offseason as though the previous year was not good enough. Here's where our holes are, and we're not just going to patch over them. We are going to make the foundation as strong as humanly possible with yeah. what is available to us, and yeah. that's what we need to see. Again, they're not the same team. Don't twist my words. But the idea is here's where our holes are, no patchwork. Right, we're not looking to be an 86-win team next year because we were an 83-win team this year. You need to go for the jugular. You have the Brewers. I, I I always think back to the way uh, uh, Kurt Russell delivers the speeches. Herb Brooks in Miracle, right? Yeah. And he's talking about the Soviet Union to the players, and he says their time is done. Now it's our time. Now go out there and take it. Right. That's go do it, Jed. It's over. The NL Central has had a nice little time where the Cubs have been messing around. It needs to be over. The and expectation, the standard, is to be the best. You and I evaluate this team in that context. If yes. you're not approaching being the pinnacle, being the example other teams want to emulate, unfortunately, it's not good enough. Yep. And that's a high standard very unrealistic, likely not going to happen, but that's the standard. If you can't do it, let me tell you, there's a lot of people who are dying to sacrifice all yeah. their life to yeah. do that. Yep. That's what we'll leave you at. All right. So there you go. Uh, we will be with you on Fridays going yes. forward. We appreciate you guys accommodating the schedule. Apologies that we will not be able to uh, interact with you live in the chat. But like I said, we will read the chat. We will read your comments. Uh, if you have questions, I read for all us, the comments. Yeah, I really you, do. All the if you mostly if you have comments actually. If you have questions for us for next week. Uh, let us know. You can follow both of us on Twitter. Brendan is at Brendan underscore Cubs on Twitter. I am at Corey underscore Cubs on Twitter. Let us know your thoughts. You can follow at CHGO underscore Cubs. Don't forget to visit allchgo.com for Ryan Herrera and Jared Willis's excellent written content. Uh, Luke, Cody, Ryan, and sometimes me, obviously, uh, as it was there on Thursday. Uh, in studio, Monday, through Thursday, uh, but the CHGO Cubs team will be with you Monday through Friday, all throughout this offseason, covering the Chicago Cubs and everything going on in the process of building the next great. 
Cubs team. So as always, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you watching, listening, however you are consuming the CHGO Cubs podcast. We appreciate a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube on the way out. Subscribe to the CHGO Sports YouTube channel. And if you are listening on a podcast app, we would love a five-star review. Thank you guys for your support. We are looking forward to a big off season. We will be back with you next week. And as always, go Cubs.